This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. It was a few years ago. I got a phone call, and when you get phone calls, every now and then that call can change your day, or sometimes it can change your forever. I got a call that a young girl had taken her own life. The family had come to see three some, and so we did everything we could through that process to minister to that family, to pray for that family, to try to care for them. But you understand there, there, there are some moments in life, there are no words that make it better. There, there's no prayer that removes the pain in that moment. There's no Bible verse that makes it all okay right then. I was asked to do the funeral. It was going to be held at another church because we were portable at the time and didn't have a facility, and I, I didn't know the family well. And I got to the funeral, and I, I don't know what you do, but in what I do, there are moments where I ask God to help me because I, I don't have the words. And by the way, those moments are called every time I speak. <laughs> but when there's a lot of pain and when there's tragedy... It's a, a desperate situation, and I have a desperation for God in those moments. But something happened to me that's never happened before. I walked into that building, and I, I don't know if it was because I was feeling the horrific tragedy of what had taken place, or, or feeling so helpless, if I'm honest, about what, what do I do, what do I say? But when I walked in the building, all of a sudden, my heart started racing. I started sweating profusely from my head. There's no hair to stop that junk. Like, it just, it just flows. It felt like the building was closing in on me, and I, I heard this high-pitched ringing noise, and I was completely overwhelmed, and the thought that just kept coming, I can't do this, I can't do, I can't do this. I went to the restroom and just puked all over the restroom. I know you're supposed to eat lunch, but I'm going to go a little long today, so we just fixed that. But I got so sick, and I thought, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. Now, there, there are a lot of times I'm supposed to speak that, I mean, I, I feel the weight. Like, there's never been a Sunday. Every single Sunday before I come out, whether I'm coming from back there or up here, I'm terrified. Did you know, if you're new to C3, I need to tell you, I need to be honest with you. If you're thinking about C3 being your church, i got to be really honest. One of the greatest fears in my life is speaking in front of people. <laughs> God has a sense of humor, and that's awesome. But I, I, I felt overwhelmed, and I came out of the restroom, and another pastor could tell that I was, I was not okay. And he said, I, I got this. And I left. I went home and continued to be sick, and I couldn't stop the sweat. In my heart, I could feel just racing, and I didn't know what to do. I was told later that that's what's called a panic attack. Now, I, I grew up in Texas, and the way I was raised and the way I grew up, you, you don't panic, you power through. And panic attacks were something that I thought, man, that'll never happen to me. I'm not, 
Like, I'm, I'm too tough for that. I, I, I've got it. And, and, you know, if that's how you think and you just found out the pastor had what some would call a panic attack, I don't know what it was. But if you think less of me, that's okay. God still loves me. And I'm very secure in that. But I was thinking about this week. And this morning, I want to talk for a few moments about something that is impacting a large segment of our society, about something that many of you in this room are dealing with, about something that plagues many people, something that parents try to figure out with their kids, husbands and wives try to figure out with their spouses, something that we're trying to wrestle with and come to terms with. And it's the issue of anxiety. We read in the book of Philippians a a letter that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, We know the word of God is from God. It's living and it's active and he used people to write it, but it's fully the word of God. No mixture of error. In the life of C3, C3 believes, I believe that the Bible is the word of God. It is fully the word of God. There's nothing we can add to it and we can't take anything away from it. It is our authority and the foundation that we build our lives on. Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi and says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I have a question. How do you do that? I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. And if you grew up in church, one of the things church has often been very good at is adding guilt and shame to people. If you grew up in church, there's this idea. I mean, we know what the Bible says. It says it right there. But are you ever in those scenarios in life where you know what the Bible teaches, but what you're feeling is in direct contradiction to what you're supposed to believe? And I want to believe that. I want to feel that. But I have no idea because this is my reality. And this is what I'm dealing with. And I know what I'm supposed to feel, but I have no idea how to get there. Do not be anxious. How do you do that? Do not be anxious. Have you bought chicken lately? Have you gone to the grocery store? Have you filled up your car with gas? Do not, do not be anxious. In a world of broken relationships, in a world where people let us down, but more than anyone else, we let ourselves down, in a world where there are bills to pay and kids with needs, and tragedy happening in people's lives like we've heard about this morning, in a world with so much hate and so many arguments and such strong opinions where everybody's convinced they're right, in a world, in this world, where our globe is in conflict at an extreme level, do not be anxious about anything? Is that that even possible? What I want you to know this morning is is that if you deal with anxiety, you're not alone. In my research, I discovered that almost one-third, one-third of the country's $148 billion in mental health cost with doctors and medicines, one-third is claimed for anxiety spectrum disorders. It is the largest as far as cost and how many people see the doctor about their condition, the largest mental health issue in the United States of America. And we battle anxiety on different levels. For for some of you, you're feeling kind of a little bit of anxiety because you've got a test tomorrow in class and you've not studied, 
and, and you feel that, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cram tonight, I can't go back in time, there's anxiety. Or, or some of you, some of you, there is a, there's a contact in your phone that when you see their name on the screen, anxiety. And if that never happens to you, you're probably the one that causes it for other people, like that, because <laughs> everybody has one. Some of us deal with, with minor anxiety, but then others of us, you deal with crushing anxiety. What happened to me at that funeral was extremely challenging, but some of you, hey, I, I know some of you, your story beats my story. You could walk on this platform and if you could share with us what you're walking through and the level of anxiety that you're navigating day by day, the, the overwhelming sense of discomfort and uneasiness, and, and you feel like you can't function, we would be blown away if we knew what some of you are processing every moment of every day. And what I want you to know this morning is that I truly believe God loves you. And I truly believe God wants to help you today and every day. I want to look at a passage in the Old Testament. It's an incredible story about a king, one of the greatest kings of Judah. He was the, the fourth king of Judah, King Jehoshaphat. He, he loved God. He was a great leader. It was a great country at this time, a country that honored God, loved God. And he woke up one day and he got a message. He was told, hey, the Moabites are attacking our kingdom. Then he was told not only are the Moabites attacking, but also the Ammonites. Then he was told not only are the Moabites attacking and the Ammonites attacking, but also the Meunites are attacking. It's not just one. It's not just two. There, there's three armies that have gathered together and they've come together against us and three countries are attacking our one country. The Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meunites. And you might be here thinking, well, they're not attacking me. Well, well maybe it's not the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Meunites. Maybe for you it's the Cellulites. But, but you're being attacked. There are things you deal with day by day. And it's bad. It's bad when your country's being attacked by one army. It's worse when your country's being attacked by two armies. It is hellacious and hopeless when one country's being attacked by three armies. Just like it's a bad day when your car won't stop and you won't start and you have chronic issues with your vehicle and you're trying to figure out how to navigate that but you can't afford a new one, that's a bad day. You're gonna be late to work. It's worse when your car won't start and you have these chronic issues and you're trying to figure out how to deal with that but you can't afford a new car and now you're late to work but you've been moved to a new department with a new boss who's harsh and critical and unreasonable. It's not only worse, it's hellacious when your car won't start and you can't get to work and your boss is unreasonable and harsh and cruel to you and on top of that, your, your financial stress is creating arguments in your marriage. You're struggling to pay all of your bills. And last weekend, last weekend you decided finally, I'm gonna get healthy, I'm gonna go on a diet. We don't call them diets, we call it a new lifestyle. I'm gonna go on to a new lifestyle and you were good over the weekend and you showed up at that office on Monday morning and somebody brought Krispy Kreme, hot. <laughs> Did you know Krispy Kreme used to have a coffee that was flavored glazed donuts? I don't think they have it anymore. I think it killed some people. But in life, we, we can handle, isn't it true? Sometimes we can handle one thing, maybe two things. But isn't it true? There are moments we say things like, I can't take one more thing. I'm hanging on by a thread. 
And isn't it our reality that there are moments where so many things, it feels like we're being attacked from every side and it's very easy. It's very easy in those moments. If you're a Christ follower to think, God, where are you? I mean, what is the benefit of following Jesus if this is life? And even if you're not a Christ follower, maybe somebody invited you, you've never given your life to Jesus, you're kind of checking all this out, checking out the claims of God, evaluating if Christianity is for you and what you believe about it. I want you to know, first of all, you're welcome here. We're glad you're here. But even, you know, if you're a Christ follower, it even uh, not a Christ follower, it makes sense to you that if there is a God, he should take care of his people. But what do you do? And then we read verses like this. Don't be anxious about anything. And sometimes you're walking through something dark. And when you're going through something very difficult, there are some people who, who specialize um, in saying the stupidest things possible. Have you noticed that? Well, listen, brother, don't be anxious about anything. Shut up. I mean, do you ever, ever want to lay hands on people in the name of Jesus? Like, <laughs> seriously? Often we'd be better off just to shut our mouths and talk to Jesus, not to the person. Because we say some dumb stuff. I could tell you stories, but I won't. But we have a way, if we're not careful as followers of Jesus, of adding to people's guilt, of adding to people's shame, of making them feel even more like they're disconnected from God or they're, they're doing something wrong. And maybe, maybe you are. There are seasons where I have. If there's chronic sin in your life, if there's a pattern or a thinking or a behavior in your life that is displeasing to a holy God, there are consequences of that. Sometimes, listen, I, I, am, I have a PhD in creating my own anxiety. But there are other times when you're doing everything you know to do. You love Jesus as best you know how. You're, you're committed to your faith. You're here on a Sunday morning instead of the beach in beautiful weather. I mean, you're doing everything you can. You, you can't point, you're not perfect, but you can't point to one thing that there's this overwhelming thing that God's been convicting you about and you're still doing it your way instead of God's way. What do you do? I want you to hear something this morning. And this is important. Anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is a sign. Anxiety is not a sin Anxiety is a sign. If you're not battling with anxiety, but someone that you deeply love is, hear me, anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is a sign. You think about Jesus in the garden just before he would be arrested, just before the crucifixion, and he's praying, and scripture teaches us that he was in anguish to such a level that he was sweating drops of blood. Anxiety is not a sin. Jesus didn't sin, but anxiety is a sign. It's the warning light on the dashboard that says you're out of oil. It's the warning light on the dashboard that says the engine is overheated. And when we see that sign, what do we do? We take the car to get fixed in the area of its need. If you're battling anxiety, it's a sign. Jehoshaphat is told you're being attacked by three armies. One translation says he was alarmed. Another translation says he was terrified. Another translation says he, he had great fear. Another translation says when he heard these words, he was shaken. What does he do? 
He turns to God in prayer. Notice 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6. And before we read this verse, I just said, he turns to God in prayer. And I think one of the things that we are great at, even as followers of Jesus, is diminishing the power of prayer. When I said he turned to God in prayer, some of you in your minds and hearts, and there's been seasons in my life where I felt like this, you were like, oh, brother. I've tried that. But, but notice, hang with me. Keep an open mind. You owe it to yourself to pay attention to what God may want to say this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6. Lord, he's praying, the God of our ancestors, you are not the God. Are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. Anxiety is not a sin, it's a sign. And the first sign it is, the first warning light that may be going off in your light, in your life, if you're battling anxiety, is you need to pray. We're going to pray. It's a sign that you need to pray. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a neuroscientist with a master's and PhD in communication pathology and an SBC in logopathics, specializing in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology. You know what that means? She's smart. <laughs> like, you look at our website of C3, and it says, I'm a pastor and a dad and a grandfather. That's all I got. <laughs> She's brilliant. Here's what she said, Dr. Leaf. It has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. 12 minutes a day of focused prayer. Now, focus, that, 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 that's our problem. Some of you can't focus for two minutes. Unless it's the Eagles or the Giants. Or that, that's a different story. God bless y'all, man. Life sucks as a Cowboys fan, but... Same story, two decades. Focus prayer. So, so what do I do if I'm in that position where, okay, the, the research, I mean, can, can, think about this. Think about what we have so diminished and what we use often, not as a first resort, but as a last resort, prayer. Have you ever heard people say, well, there's nothing you can do now but pray? What the fat are you thinking? That's the best thing you can do. That's the greatest thing you can do. 12 minutes a day of focused prayer over an eight-week period of time changes your brain in such a way it shows up on a brain scan. What we have access to, we don't even utilize. We have excused away because of our experience. Here's why. For some of you, prayer, I tried it once. Didn't work. It's kind of like... In the same way, in January, if you have a gym membership, January is going to be crowded. People are going to show up. I, I tried the gym. Didn't work. You, you just went one time, Jethro. I mean, it's like, if you go to the gym, you know what happens when you come home from the gym after working out? You look in the mirror, nothing's changed. You go the second day and you look in the mirror, 
nothing's changed. You go the third day and you look in the mirror, nothing's changed. It takes time to see the cumulative effect of doing what is wise in our lives. The biblical pattern for success has always been consistency. You gave up too early. You stopped what works too early. You doubted that God was being honest. You didn't keep doing what you needed to do. And the reality is 12 minutes a day can change how your brain is wired to such a degree it shows up on a brain scan. Do you know what that means? It means when you hear people say, well, this is just me. This is just how I am. It means if you say that, you're lying to yourself. It means that the way that your brain is wired, it, it's not permanently that way. It doesn't have to be. It can be changed. Our, our thinking patterns, our habits, how we process thoughts in life, and it's awesome that we can change it because some of you and me at times in my life so often allow our brains to take us down dead-end roads where we drive circle in cul-de-sacs of anxiety and stress and we stay there. God can change the wiring of your brain. It's called neuroplasty. Last week we talked about the reality that that when something happens to you and you respond a certain way, the thought you have, the next time something similar happens, it's easier to think that thought. And the next time something similar happens, it's easier to think that thought. And your brain creates these pathways that develop patterns in your thinking. And you eventually just always respond this way to that thing when that happens in your life. But you have the ability, God can change that the way your brain is wired. The more you think a thought, the more you'll think that thought. But here's the thing about prayer that we have so underestimated so often in our lives, especially, especially if you're battling anxiety. Prayer moves the hand of God, but it also changes the chemistry of our brains. I mean, think about that. And the word in scripture that's most often used for anxiety is the word merimanano. It literally means dwelling or pondering on fearful or anxious thoughts. And some of you are experts at going down the same dead-end road and driving in those circles and cul-de-sacs of anxiety and stress over and over again in life. You know what it's called? Meditating on the negative. Do you meditate? I don't meditate. Sure you do. You spend your life and your thoughts either meditating on the truth of Scripture or meditating and focusing and thinking about and being consumed with your problems, or meditating and focusing and thinking about what you're going to do about your problems. You're focused on something. And many of us train our brains by meditating on the negative. You're training your brain to be anxious. And so we take those same roads, those same thought patterns, every time something stressful hits our lives, we rehearse everything that could go wrong while never considering what God could do because it's how we think. But you have the ability, because of the grace of God and the power of God to change that, we're training our brains to think about the negative. And it, it's natural. It's completely natural. The natural reaction to bad news and stressful circumstances is anxiety. It, it's natural. And because it's natural, you and I need something that's supernatural, beyond the natural, stronger, more powerful than the natural, and that's called prayer. 
Prayer is what breaks the cycle. Prayer is what creates new neuro patterns in your mind and how your brain is, brain is wired and how you think and how you process. So much so, 12 focus minutes a day over eight weeks. And your brain would look different on a brain scan. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God's desire for your life and my life is that we have a sound mind. You look at the places in Scripture where the Bible talks about the renewing of our minds, the transformation of our minds. God says, think on these things. God tells us, take every thought captive. You can't control what pops in your mind. You can control whether or not it moves in to stay. Notice the authenticity and the honesty of Jehoshaphat. Oh, that's a great name. If you're expecting a son, roll with it. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. For we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do. Have you ever been there? I have no idea what to do now. I've read every book. I've talked to every counselor. I've done everything I know how to do. I, I don't know how to fix my marriage. Or I don't know how to fix me or I have no idea how to help my child. I've done everything I know to do. I don't know how to turn my life around. What I'm facing financially is overwhelming. I don't see a way out. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. I can't figure this out, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. God, this is too much. I can't deal with it. I can't fix this. I feel hopeless. I don't know what else to do. But the rest of the verse, but our eyes are on you. If you're battling anxiety, if you're feeling overwhelmed, what are you focused on? What are you looking at with your eyes in your life? Because your life will pursue what your eyes focus on. What are you focused on when you're struggling? I love 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Scripture says, cast all your anxiety on him, on Jesus, because he cares for you. God knew that we would deal with anxiety in this life. God knows that we live in a broken, fouled up, messed up world. God knows that none of us have it all together in every area of life. And anxiety is going to be part of what we deal with. Some of you minimally, some of you majorly almost debilitating, and for some, it is debilitating. I cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. But it is interesting to me because I do not believe it's accidental. Our God is a God of order, and God knew what he was going to inspire Peter to write after he wrote this, and it's connected the verse before and the verse after. And so we read, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And the very next verse, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I thought about that. And then I thought about that some more. And then I thought about that some more. And I don't know what you do when you read the word of God, but I often have a lot of questions. And many of them I don't, I don't have answers to. But I thought, because it's, it's, it's just how I'm wired, go with me. I, I thought, why a lion? Why not a bear? Why not a dinosaur? They were around back in the day from what I understand. Why, why a roaring lion? Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So I began to do some research. 
about how lions go after their prey and how lions attack. And if you've ever seen the Discovery Channel or National Geographic, if you've ever looked into that, you, you know how lions attack. What do they do at first? They move slowly, they're still, and they observe. Could it be that we have an enemy that is moving slowly? He's got all the time it takes. He's being still, and he's observing. And he knows exactly your areas of greatest insecurity. He knows exactly what creates the most anxiety in your life. Is it an accident? I don't think so. I, I think that this verse comes after the verse about cast all your anxiety because the roar of the lion is that the anxiety that you and I feel often in life, it could be the enemy's greatest point of attack. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. When a lion attacks an animal, it eats the organs first. Anxiety is that thing that eats you alive on the inside first. When a lion attacks whatever it's going to attack, it attacks at the throat. And the purpose of this is it wants to shut off the airway and it wants to destroy the food pipe. And because if it gets distracted or if another animal comes in to try to take the prey, the lion can go fight. And if whatever it attacks gets away, it's not going to live long. It can't breathe and it can't eat. Now, I don't know who interviewed a lion to figure out that, about that's why they do it, but that's what the experts say. So think about it. Anxiety is that thing that will roar up inside your life, destroy you from the inside, cut off your ability to breathe, and you want no nourishment and stop seeking God, the very thing that could help you, and now you're dead. And so God warns us. Often the greatest attack of the enemy, think about it, the two verses right together, the greatest attack will be inside you and it will come through your anxiety. It will come through what you wrestle with, what you find to be overwhelming, the things in your life. And maybe you struggle in this area and you struggle in that area and you struggle in a different area, but, but he's watching and he knows exactly when to pounce and how loud the roar will be inside you and what to cut off so you think that God won't help you and God can't help you. So be alert and of sober mind. Sober mind, I need to renew my mind. I need the spirit of God to renew my mind and transform me and remind me that God says he will never leave me and that he'll never forsake me. I, I need to be reminded that God says he is leaning into those that are crushed in spirit and he cares for us. I need to be reminded that God has a plan and a purpose for my life and he has never failed and he is more powerful. The God that is inside you is more powerful than anything that comes up inside you and he's big enough to handle it all. What that means is that if it's on your mind, it's on his heart. And if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Anxiety is a sign we're going to pray. It's also a sign we're going to pause. We're going to pause. Look at verse 12. We do not know what to do, but our eyes on, are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there. Stood there before the Lord. They stood there. I don't stand there well. Have you 
Have you ever thought, you don't think in these exact terms, but how you make decisions and how you live when you're under stress, when you're battling anxiety, when you're dealing with difficult things in life that seem to be overwhelming you, have you ever decided to help God out? God, I'm going to jump into this. I know what your word says. You're going to handle it all, but you're not doing it fast enough, so I'm going to go ahead and take care of this. Do you ever do that? Is it just me? Like, I, I, I have a hard time standing there. In fact, we even have heard the phrase, don't just stand there, do something. But what if God is saying, don't just do something, stand there? What if it's in the being still and the waiting that God wants to, to show you something that you will never see if you're distracted by your busyness and your control? God works in the meantime. God often works in the waiting room of life. You think about it, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years of silence. Seemed like nothing was happening, but what was happening? God was preparing and getting ready to send the Savior from heaven to earth. Absence of God's activity that we can see does not mean he's not active. If it seems like God's not doing anything, it does not mean he's not aware. It's often in the quietest greatest moments when it seems like nothing's happening that God is putting together and preparing everything for what he's going to do. But we would rather be busy and distracted than to stand there. I, I can prove it. As y'all came in today, we have a machine on each of the doorways and it scanned and pulled off your phones your screen time. And we were able to show you on the screens for everybody to see. No, we didn't do that. We didn't do that. <laughs> But have you ever looked at your screen time? And it could, it, could it be that stupid lion that has a pop-up on Sundays? That's the once a week you get it. If you have an iPhone, I mean, you know, if you don't, God bless you. But, but if you have an iPhone, you see how much time you spent looking at that. And pay. We, we don't do well with boredom. But all boredom is in actuality is a lazy mind. What do you focus on when you're waiting? Do you find yourself needing to be busy? Do you find yourself needing to fix the problem? Do you dive in? Because I don't know about you, but, but I'm an expert. When I fix problems, I make them worse. When I try to help God, it doesn't get better. And there's something to be said about the waiting, because in the waiting, you can sense a greater presence of God than often you can sense in your busyness. In the waiting, you can learn about the faithfulness of God and how much he loves you. It's in the waiting that you can hear the the quiet voice of God. We're going to pause. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. And could it be often in life, the greatest way to sense and know the presence of God is in our stillness, not our activity. Where we rely on him, where we trust him, where we learn more about the character of God. And while they were waiting, Jehoshaphat hears these words. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. If you and I would pray, it's 12 minutes a day. If we would pause, I wonder if we would more clearly hear and more deeply understand do not be afraid of discouraged because of this vast army, this level of anxiety, how overwhelmed you are, how it feels like you're being attacked from every side, the reality of how bad some circumstances are. 
do not be afraid or discouraged, for the battle is not yours but God's. And I wonder if all of God is waiting for to step on the battlefield of your life is for you to stop trying to fight your battle and for you to rely on him to do what you cannot do. Go out and face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. We're going to pray. We're going to pause. Pastor, are you saying if I do that, the anxiety is going to go away? Sometimes. It can. But it may not. And if it doesn't go away in that moment, what you've done is allowed God to have a moment that begins a process in your life of what he's going to do in your life as you recognize, I need to pray and I need to pause. Today may not be wrapping it all up, putting a bow on it, and your anxiety fades and disappears. Today may just be the beginning of a process where God's going to begin to do that because of what he's showing you in his word and the signs going off on the dashboard of your life saying, you need to pray. You need to pause. And then there's a third thing. Anxiety is a sign we're going to praise. There is something unique about worship. And I, and I need to be super, super honest right now. I'm evaluating everything in the life of C3. I always do that. And we're looking to the future, and we, we believe we have a God that has a big vision and big dreams for C3, and we want to reach people in Orlando. We want to make a difference. And I don't know about you. I've only got one life to live, and I'm asking God to squeeze every ounce of life out of me in whatever time he's given me to help as many people find hope in a relationship with Jesus and grow in relationship with God as many people as possible. And as I look at all that, and I'm very, very honest in, in evaluating, because honesty is your friend if you're courageous enough to ask real questions and honestly answer them. One of the areas that we could grow significantly in the life of C3 is in the area of worship. Worship is not something that we observe others do because they can replace it for us. You are the only person that can worship for you. And your worship from you is the worship God desires from you. And the Bible teaches us that God inhabits the praises, the worship of his people. So when we have an opportunity to come into a room like this in a corporate gathering and gather together as the church, as the church has for generations, and when we sing together, we're singing our faith and we're speaking the words of faith and we're connecting with God in a unique way. We underestimate the power of prayer and my friend, we underestimate vastly the power of worship. It's time to thank God for who he is. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. They fell down in worship. Now, worship is connecting with God. Worship is not just singing, but it is singing also. And so we have an opportunity every single week for this spiritual reset and connection to take place where we invite God to inhabit our praises. He invades the circumstances of what we're walking through in life and comes even closer when we worship him. Now, here's the thing about worship. Part of worship is thanking God for what he's done. It is very, very easy to thank God after he's done what we want him to do. Now, often we don't even bother doing that. You remember the story of the lepers in the New Testament, if you're you're familiar with the Bible. If, If not, we'll talk about it some other week. But it's very, very easy for us to thank God after he comes through for us. 
But this kind of worship is the kind of worship where you worship before God's done what you need him to do. Jehoshaphat does something that I don't think he would have done if he had not prayed, if he'd not paused, if he'd not praised. To meet the attacking armies in a completely hopeless situation where he is terrified and shaken, in that moment, to meet the attacking armies, he, he does not send the special forces. He does not call up the rock or Rambo. He doesn't do that. He sends the worship team. He sends the worship team, skinny jeans and all. And the worshipers, they praise God. The worshipers go, and to meet the attacking armies, they praise God, they worship before the victory. They lean into faith so strong that they say, hey God, it doesn't feel like it, but I believe you can. I, it doesn't feel like it's going to turn out okay, but I know you will. I'm going to lean into who you say you are, and I'm going to lean into my faith and not my fear, and I'm going to trust you, the character of God, the essence of God, the person of God, the one who gave your only son for me. I'm going to lean into that instead of how I feel because my feelings lie to me, and your power is bigger than anything I face. Yeah. And God does a miracle. He sends the worship team, not warriors, but what, what if worship is our greatest weapon? He sends the worship team, and God performs a miracle, and because of the worship of God's people, the enemy armies begin to attack themselves, and they desolate each other. And God brings a victory that he was worshiped for before he brought it. Worship him before the victory. For the victory you need him to bring into your circumstances. Worship him for who he is. It takes faith. It takes faith in the hurting. It takes fa faith in the pain. It takes faith in the suffering. It takes faith before you have all the answers. It takes faith before everything's been resolved. It takes faith before it all gets better. It takes faith in the right now. It takes faith when you're feeling overwhelming anxiety. It takes faith. But you have two options. Be devoured by what's eating you alive or worship and invite the presence of God to come into your circumstances. When you pray consistently, when you pause and hear from God, when you praise and worship, there is a, a unique and supernatural opportunity that takes place. When we stand together as a church family and we sing, you miss the opportunity if you don't participate. You miss what God wants to do in your life. You, you don't understand what I'm going through. No, I don't. I don't but I know what I'm going through. And I'm invited to the front row of a lot of people's lives when their lives blow up. And I've never seen God fail people when they worship. What are you missing? What's not happening in your life 
that the posture of your focus in worship could invite God in in a supernatural way and what you've been trying to defeat and what you've been trying to overcome and what has felt overwhelming to you for so long and what you've been battling, a God who could take care of it like that or begin a process that takes care of it, you owe it to yourself not to miss that. Verse 29, the fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. You cannot defeat your enemy, but God can. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace. The most precious thing in life is peace. For his God had given him rest on every side. Rest from what was attacking from over here, rest from what was attacking from over here, rest from what was attacking from back there, rest on every side. God did it. He came through like he always does. God wants to win the battles that you can't even fight. But in the meantime, when it looks impossible, before the anxiety leaves, before the answers come, we need to pray. We need to pause, and you and I need to praise. Something unique, something very unique about worship. Scripture teaches us that the angels are worshiping God. But we also learn from Scripture that you and I teach the angels how to worship at a deeper level. Why? They've never worshiped through anxiety. They've never worshipped through pain. They've never worshipped through struggle. They've never worshipped through doubt. Does your worship inform the angels about what authentic faith is in pain? The way that you turn by faith, not because of what you're feeling, but because of who God is and what he wants to do. Thank you so much for watching with us this morning. If you would like to be a part of this life-changing movement and give, you can go to giveC3.cc or text C3 Orlando to 77977. And we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. And if you're in Central Florida, please join us Sunday mornings, 930 or 11 a.m. in person. Have a great week.